Philippians, Christ says, Paul, Paul says these words. And this is going to be the, the topic for tonight, for tonight, this morning. I'm like, maybe I'll preach till tonight. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. To live is Christ. All right, to live is Christ is going to be our topic. Paul says this in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And you know, let's get right to it. Paul is in prison. He writes this letter. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is coming to a conclusion. And I believe what he says, these four words... When, when you try to piece these words together and what exactly he's saying, you understand very quickly Paul is not addressing us and, and trying to explain to us somehow how to fit Christ into our life. How to live a Christian life, pleasing Christ or walking with Christ. He just says to live is Christ. The Christian life is defined in the fact that to live this Christian life, the only way to live it the way the Bible wants us to live it, the only way to live it the way the, our Father in Heaven wants to live it, to live it needs to be lived like this. To live for me is Christ. Now, somewhere we mess this up because to live like a Christian turning just to, just to attending church on Sunday morning for an hour and 14 minutes. But Paul in prison, I love that he's in prison because there is no space when God has called you. There is no space, no place, no family, no situation that can confine you to not being used by God. Yeah. Don't wait to get up here and grab a mic to preach. Everywhere you are, if you're at home like Natalia or if you're somewhere else walking through some kind of storm, going through some kind of stuff with your parents, stuck in class, studying, in internship. God, I want to go to the nations, but I'm in class listening to crazy people like George. My friend, anywhere you are, and no matter what season you're in, does not confine you to being used by God. Paul is in prison, and he is being used by God, and he's saying to live for me is this, Christ. To me, living is Christ. This is living like a Christian. Christ, I think we messed it up. There is so much focus on this moment even right now. Now, I understand I'm nervous when I get up here and I'm nervous in front of people, but why am I so nervous? Is, it, is, is church really just about this moment? Is church really just about our worship team singing perfectly and going through all their notes and transitions? Is this really all that church is? Is church just us gathering right here and this defines that we are Christians because we come to a place. Listen, my friend, if being Christian is connected to coming to the church, I think we got it wrong because it's so easy to do today. There's churches that give you popcorn and Coca-Cola when you come in just to make sure you stay through that, throughout the hour and 15 minutes that you're going to be here. But we got no problem watching Super Bowl for three and a half. Hey, hey, is this really just church? You come in here, listen to me yell at you, then singing and praying, and then we leave, and you're back to your old life. You're back to living in stress, back to living frustrated, back to doubt, back to fear, back to... Come on. I'm telling you, machine gun preacher right now, 10 minutes left. 
And this is all you're doing. And you come here. And listen, when you come here, it's a great thing that you come. God speaks to you. God touches you. God encourages you. But if this is it, my friend, I think we missed it. Because Paul is not at a church service. Paul is not at Church of Truth. He's not at some other big church. Paul is in prison. And he's telling everybody in Philippi, hey, to live is Christ. He didn't stop living the way he was supposed to live when he was in prison. He said to live is Christ. And if I'm in prison, if I'm at church, if I'm at home, if I'm sick, if I'm at work, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Let's go through these points really quick. When we come to Christ, we receive new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old things have passed away. And behold, behold, all things have become new. This is the life we receive when we come to Christ. That no matter what you came out of, no matter what you came carrying, when you, when you fell on your knees, when you came to the altar, whether it was at home or whether it was here, when you came to him, all things have been made new. He didn't remodel. He didn't revise. He didn't reconstruct. He gave new life. The old is gone and the new has come. This is what we receive when we come to him. But next, point number two, we still have choice. Our free will is not taken away when we receive new life. Come on, come on. Paul, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, those that were in Israel, you guys saw this place. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is praying, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus. Listen, Jesus is praying this. Keep in fact, the fact also keep in, keep in mind that this is days before he is crucified. Which tells me, I can be days before my fulfillment and going to heaven, and I can still choose my will. You can be on your deathbed about to face him and still choose your will. And Jesus prays this prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. You know what I found? Every time we really step into prayer, there's four things that I notice always happen in my life. First thing is I humble myself. If I'm praying and humbling myself doesn't happen in my prayer, I'm not praying. Every time I really begin to pray, I have to humble myself. That's not because I come in there, hey, what's up, God? And I'm, you know, dressed up, head up, what's up, man? No, it's because when I come into prayer, I understand the posture of my heart, like Larry's talking about, the position of my heart is, God, I need you. I don't know everything. I don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't matter if I have a perfect routine. It doesn't matter if I'm on payroll at church. It doesn't matter what I do. If I have this routine Monday through Friday, I still need you, God. I still need you so much. And I humble myself when I come to him. The, the second thing I often do, I, I begin to repent. Because when I humble myself and I begin to cry out to God, I realize really quick there's some areas in my life that God is still refining, still wanting to fix, still, still, still cleaning up in my life. Yeah. 
I realized right away there's some, some wrong turns I made this week. There's some conversations that went the way I didn't expect. And right away I repent. I begin to, to pray to God in repentance. You know what else happens? I find myself always submitting. Submitting to his plans again and again. Submitting to his will again and again. And then I find myself leaving that place of prayer, obeying. Obeying whatever I know he wants me to do. Obeying whatever he's told me to do. Asking him to help me in my obedience. You know, can I say something? Not that I'm not going to, but can I say something just to help you out? Just to help you hear what I'm about to say? 20% of our church was at 40-hour prayer. Now, man of God said this, that a church is not defined by its Sunday attendance. The church is defined by its prayer service. The strength of the church, the true content of every church, is that your prayer meeting, not your Sunday morning service. There's something that we're missing when church is just this right here. I experienced breakthrough over, over, over breakthrough personally in my life as we were praying in 40-hour prayer. Last night when we were here, 6 to 8, our corporate prayer, there's about 50 people here. Maybe 50 people. And you know, at first, I had this thought, man, we got, a, we got a church of, if you take all of our services, our youth services, during the week services, we have almost, almost, maybe almost 800 people, 1,000 people that come all throughout. We got 50 people coming to prayer Saturday night. And, I'm thinking, and at, first, at first I was like, man, I'm not going to talk about this, Lord. This is, this is going to offend somebody. This is going to get somebody hurt. This is gonna, they're going to think I'm judging, judging you, condemning you. No, I'm not judging you or condemning you. I'm just talking about truth. And the truth is, we got a big church, but we got small prayer meetings. And I think something, need to cha- something needs to change. Fifty people here praying. And at first, when, I, when we started praying, I'm like, man, I'm like, God, I'm like, I'm not Mr. Righteous up here praying and everyone else is a sinner and they don't love you really like I do and all these things. No, I just, I just pray and pray and pray and I just begin to walk. I begin to walk around and pray and I just got breakthrough in a moment. And God reminded me, I don't need masses. I just need a person. I don't need a city. I need one man. I don't need a nation. I need one woman that will pray, that will be faithful, that will seek my face, and I will, on, the, on behalf of them. Listen, all of David's sons messed it up big. But God said, because of your father David, I must still bless you and remind you that because he walked with me, I'm going to walk with you now. God only needs someone to walk faithfully with him in every generation. And because of the faithfulness of one person, God blesses the church. God blesses the city. God blesses the nation. Something is going to happen when we get our focus off of churches just on Sunday. My friend, church is every day because we are the church and Christ is our life. Christ is not limited to an hour and a half. He wants everything in our life. But you have a free will still. The next thing is that we're empowered. We're empowered to live a new life. We have been given a new life. We still have choice to choose what life we live, but God has empowered us to live the life he wants us to live. Romans 6.13, do not let any part of your body, 
Become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. He gave me new life. I still have choice to choose how I would live it. But God has given me everything I need. Everything I need to live the life that he wants me to live. He wants all of my body. Listen. Tell, say right now. All of my body. All of my days. All of my kids. All of my paychecks. He wants all of me to be completely given unto him for his glory. God wants to be glorified. Not just through this service, but in every day and everything that you go through. God wants to be glorified. He wants to be glorified in the job you have. He wants to be glorified in the way you're raising your kids. He wants to be glorified when you're at home all the time. He wants to be glorified through your life. And I love that he doesn't need this pulpit nor this mic to glorify himself through your life. He just needs you to give yourself completely to God. And your life shall be for the glory of God. I have everything I need to live this new life. But Galatians 5.25, the next thing says, we must keep in step with the Spirit. He is our comforter. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We're not leaping, we're stepping. We're not dreaming of things to come, we're walking them out. We're not just sitting and waiting. We're following this 40-hour prayer. As you've received him, continue to walk in him, follow him. One translation says the way you've received him, continue to live in him. There are steps that I take. There are steps that I take. 40-hour prayer for me is one of those steps. There are steps I take. I take steps. I keep in step with the Spirit. Hello? It's not a degree. It's not my 10 years of being in church. It's not how much I know about God. It's keeping in step with the Spirit. We're always to keep in step with the Spirit. He leads us, we follow. He leads us, we follow. And it's step by step by step. Listen, some of you might be waiting for a miracle to happen in your life where you get pulled out of where you are and plugged in somewhere else. But I want to tell you, if you are rooted here and rooted in Christ, just keep in step and watch how where you are will change to where you will be. I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for my next promotion. I'm waiting for my next job. I'm waiting for a better church, a better preacher, a better pastor. And you keep waiting, and you will wait till the end of your life and find yourself in the same place. But if right now you just keep in step with what God wants you to do, you'll find yourself stepping out of where you are and stepping into what God has for you. The last point, he desires, worship team, please, please come out. He desires to lead us to Christ, to a Christ-centered life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Word of God in our life. He desires to lead us to a Christ-centered life. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My last passage of scripture as we pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the main verse. If you didn't write anything down, at least write down this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. We have determined, we are convinced that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was rose again. One more time. The love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, we have determined this, that if one died for all, then all have died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It starts with the love of God. The love of of Christ. Listen, your love might be on a mountain one day and the valley in another, inconsistent in some, in some areas, not always completely devoted or committed to him, but his love, his love does not change for you. In fact, the Bible says that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. It gives us a list of things, nothing that can separate you from his love. And I love Paul saying, for Christ's love, not our love to him, his love his love for us, his love in us compels us, compels us, and we are convinced. We have determined, we have decided that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for me, that I would no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me and was rose again. Make this personal this morning. He died for you. I'm not talking to the general public. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to somebody outside these walls. I'm talking to you. He died for you. And it's crazy we can receive this new life, but go living it however we want. But Paul says, listen, this is what helps us. This is how we and the team do it. This is how me and my boys do this. Christ's love compels us. Not my love for God. Christ's love compels us. Let's sing more about his love, not our love. Let's talk more about his love, not our love. Let's preach more about his love, not our love. He loved us. Christ loved us. And his love is proven in the fact that he came and he died. Hear me right. I want to question maybe. The love of God that we continue to talk about, that we experience. You have a personal conversation with somebody and you talk to asking them and you see maybe some area that you're trying to like get to them and correct them in a certain area, whatever, just a conversation, fellowship you're having. And, and you just want to feel out, where are they? 
you feel that something, maybe you want to just give them advice or help them in this area or help them see something. And you're talking, you're talking. You know what, 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 the, what I've heard more and more whenever sitting with somebody, trying to help them out in whatever they're going through. When we get to the topic of how they're doing personally with God, this is what I hear over and over again. Oh, it's great, man. It's great. What do you mean it's great? Dude, God's love. Dude, I experience it every day. And I begin to think, if he's experiencing the love of God every day, why are these things continuing to happen? Now, hear me out. There's a process for us to get out of where we are. There's a process of getting, stepping into freedom. There's a process. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, I, had, a, I had a hard time in sexual sin since I got saved. And it was only years and years ago that I had already been a Christian for five, six, seven years. And God is slowly pulling me out of that mess that I got myself into. But when I'm telling, when I'm telling people I'm experiencing the love of God, but there are things that are not showing that experience, I have questions. I want to tell you that there's a spirit in this world that will have you experience love, but this is not the love of God. It's possible to, be, to, be, to encounter a deceptive spirit of love, but not Christ's love. It's, it's possible to be in this service. And if your heart is not sincere and open before God, it's possible to feel some things that are not God. Hear me right. Why are there so many love songs and love movies? Because there's a spirit of love in this world. But it's not the love of God and it's not the love of Christ. It's a form of love. It's love that's masqueraded itself in showing and giving people something they want. But it's not the love of Christ. Because the love of Christ that I experience in my life will do this. It will bring me to my knees and it will cause me to lay my life down as he laid it down. You know what I notice in prayer, especially young people? Our grandparents prayed us through on their knees. But many of us are sitting in our seats during prayer. It's almost become a new trend. Sit and enjoy when we pray. If it wasn't for my great-grandparents, I would not be here. Pastor's parents. Some of you that don't know his testimony, even pastor. Pastor was a troubled teenager. Have you heard his story? He was not doing good when he was a teenager. But he would come home and he would hear his mom and dad on their knees praying for him. Praying for the family. Praying for his, for his other brothers and sisters. We have a generation before us that spent a lot of time on their knees praying us through. And something doesn't sit right when I come to prayer and people are sitting. We can sit. Listen, just, some of you are going to take something out of my mess and be like, oh my gosh, he's a religious crazy guy. We can sit. We can sit. But if all I do at prayer is this. And then I, I come up to this person. I say, what, what are you experiencing during prayer? Oh, the love of God. The love of God. My friend, when the love of God comes over me, I cannot sit nor can I stand. I cannot just shake my hands like this. I fall to my face because the love of Christ will do this. What Paul said, the love of Christ compels us. You know what, what he's saying? He's saying is the love of God holds us together. The love of God has pressed us together as one body. And what it does is it drives us to this place where we are convinced and determined his love is this. He died for all. He died for all. 
We cannot sit. We cannot wait. We, we are not afraid. Because his love shown to us, we saw the death that he died. He died for us. He laid his life down for us. Who are we? Who are we that he would come and die for us? My messed up, perverted childhood. Who am, who am I that he would come and die for me? And Paul's saying, man, we are, we are compelled. We are moved. We go. We don't stay in one place because his love, his love is this. He died for us. And so we die too. And we choose not to live for ourselves but for him who died for us and rose again. This is what the love of Christ will do in our life. So when the love of God comes over you, sometimes, yes, you will laugh. Sometimes, yes, you'll cry. Sometimes you'll be knocked out on your bed. But my friend, if you continue to experience his love but are not laying down your life, there's something not right. His love experienced in my life or upon my life will bring me to a place where I will do what he did. His love is this. I will lay down my life and I will live for him, not myself. Today, the love of God is touching us, but we have more opinions instead of the option of laying our life down. We have more views instead of coming under what he has for us.